go to uh, Revelation chapter 6. We're going to continue our study through Revelation tonight. And we'll just go ahead and read through it very quickly. And then um, I'm still uncertain about which direction to go with it, but I think I'm going to go ahead and just go very slowly with you through um, understanding where we're at here and how we get to Revelation chapter 6. But let's go ahead and read through it to, um, to begin with. Yeah, don't pay attention to what I got up there just yet. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades followed with him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So you remember what we have been studying. The focus was on what in chapters 4 and 5? What was the focus on? Everything that was around it, below it, above it, beside it. The throne, right? 
So we were looking at the throne room of God and everything that was around the throne room of God. And we came to the conclusion that God was getting ready to take back all of uh, what had been usurped from, from mankind, namely earth and all creation. And He's getting ready to pour His wrath out on sin. And so what you see taking place in chapter 6 here is you see that this is where the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb are being poured out onto all the earth. And you see it in each individual step. Now the seals, if you remember, just in case there's somebody that wasn't here, we also determined from Old Testament Scripture like Jeremiah that the scroll that's being opened here that has seven seals is the title deed to the earth. And again, we go back and we look at historical context and we understand that a title deed was given to any type of land and there were at least seven witnesses, typically seven witnesses, that actually witnessed who had bought it and who it belonged to. And each one of those witnesses sealed this deed with each one of their seals. And so what we have happening here is the Lamb, Jesus, who has ransomed all the earth, by giving His life to purchase it back, defeating sin, which took it away to begin with. Y'all tracking with me? Jesus now takes the title deed to the earth, and He now is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And He can now begin to break the seals. And in the seals are His rights to take this back. And as each one of the seals are broken, the wrath of God is poured out. And that's exactly what you see happening in chapter 6. Now, tonight what I would like to do is I'd like to spend just a little bit of time, go back with me to Daniel chapter 9. We've done this before, but I feel like you can't do it enough because it's very difficult to understand. I say it's very difficult. You may can pick right up on it. But I want to walk through Daniel chapter 9 with you and I want you to understand what is happening in this time period that we're looking at? Because in Revelation, the majority of it is focused on what we call the seven years of tribulation. Is there anybody in here that's never heard of that? You never heard of the seven years of tribulation? So most everybody in here, you never heard of it. So there are a few people that have never heard of the seven years of tribulation. And so what it is, is at the end of time, we believe after Jesus comes back and He takes His church out of the world and He takes it to heaven with Him, what we believe takes place is at that moment there is a seven-year period of tribulation that takes place. And we're going to look at what that tribulation period looks like, but first I want you to understand where it comes from, what its purpose is. Alright, so in Daniel chapter 9, I want you to notice in verse... Uh, let's just start reading in verse 1. And it's okay if we... Is it okay if we just take our time and just little by little go through this so that you... I want to try to make sure that you get it and you understand what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Okay, Daniel chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of... And I can't say that name but he is uh, by the descendant of uh, a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 
70 years. Let me put that in layman's terms for you. Israel has sinned against God. They were God's chosen people, right? They have sinned against God. God has allowed this kingdom of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, you can name it however you want to, it's the same army, but He has allowed this, this army to come in and wipe out Jerusalem. They have destroyed the temple, they have destroyed the city because they disobeyed God and they were very disobedient to what He had called them to do. Daniel, when he was just a child, was one of the children that were carried away into captivity. Uh, him, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, if you know any of those old stories, they were some of the children that were carried away and they were, they were brought in to basically live in the king's palace and they were to be servants of the king of Chaldee, of Babylon. And so we have this time period where Daniel has grew up his whole life in Babylonian captivity. All right, But then he's reading in the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had prophesied that God had said, I'm going to send you into captivity. This is why you're here. But after a certain amount of time, I'm going to come and I'm going to deliver you from this. Namely, 70 years. Okay, Now that's what, Dan, that's what Jeremiah had said. I'm not going to take you back and show you that yet, just yet. But, or actually, yeah, let's do that. Go back to Jeremiah. Hold your place in Daniel. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. I believe this is right. Because this, this would have been what, Jeremiah, what Daniel was reading. So Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning in verse 11. This is what Jeremiah was prophesying to the Israelites, okay? In verse 11 of Jeremiah 25, it says, "...this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed... I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands." So Daniel is reading that, all right? Everybody's still with me, right? I hadn't lost you yet. Daniel is reading this in chapter 9. And he sees that I have been in Babylonian captivity my whole life. Our people have been in Babylonian captivity for about 70 years now. And the time is drawing near on 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And he reads this in Jeremiah. What does that do for Daniel? Daniel's getting pretty excited, right? We're fixing to be the kingdom of Jerusalem again. We're fixing to come back into our place, all right? But look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and Your rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all of the people of the land. So what's Daniel doing right there? He's just acknowledging that God, the reason we're here is because this is what we've done. Alright? Now verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us belongs open shame, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. In other words, we deserve to be here, right? We deserve everything we've got. Verse 8, To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us. I'm sorry, I lost my place. By bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all Your righteous acts, let Your anger and Your wrath turn away from Your city Jerusalem, Your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Your people have become a byword among all those around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of Your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for Your own sake, O Lord, make Your face shine upon Your sanctuary, which is desolate. Remember, Jerusalem's been tore down, right? The temple's gone. It's desolate. But he's asking, God, turn your face back toward it. Verse 18 says, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And so what's Daniel doing here? He's seen that the 70 years is almost up, right? And now he's just pleading with God. God, please, 
Do like you said you'd do. I know we deserve to be here. I know we have done this. But God, please turn your face back toward us and make us your people again. Verse 20, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word that I'm about to tell you and understand the vision. And then Gabriel explains to him. Now remember, Daniel's thinking that it's supposed to be how long? Seventy years. So Daniel's thinking God is just going to punish us for seventy years. And in Babylonian captivity, he's right. But that's not what God said from the beginning that He was going to do to them. Let's see what God said. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 25. Hold your place in Daniel because we're coming back to this, okay? And if I begin to lose you, tell me, slow down. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. Now this is just one of the laws that they broke. But this law and the punishment for it helps us understand the timeline that we're fixing to see in Daniel. Everybody understand that? Alright, so let's look at the law that they broke. This is not the only law, but it is the one we're going to examine because you're going to see the details that we're fixing to study through it. In verse 1 of chapter 25 of Leviticus, It says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. And here's what he means by that in verse 3. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits, But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for what? The land, right? So what's God telling them? Somebody give that to me in layman's terms. Seven years, leave the land alone, right? Six years, you work it, you do everything to it, it'll provide for you. But every seventh year, leave the land alone. Let it rest. All right. now keep reading with me. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker, the sojourner who lives with you, for your cattle and the wild animals that are in the land. And and its yield shall be for food. All right. Now let me see if I need to go down further before I go to another scripture. Verse 
It's been a while since I taught this. Y'all bear with me. All right, now go with me to Leviticus chapter 26, verse 31 through 35. So go one chapter over, beginning in verse 31. Here is the punishment for them not following the laws of God. So Leviticus 26, verse 31. Everybody there? And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. Which is exactly what we heard Daniel say in there a minute ago, right? And I will not smell your pleasing aromas, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your city shall be a waste. And then look at verse 34. And then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. All right, so everybody tracking with me still? So they're supposed to let the land rest every seventh year, right? And then there are other laws they're supposed to follow too. And if they don't do this, God is going to take them out of the land. He's going to, to send them off into captivity somewhere so that the land can have rest for however many Sabbaths it is that they did not let it have rest. Now go with me to Second Chronicles, just a few books over. So... 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Beginning in verse 17. You're going to start putting the pieces together right here. This is where the pieces come together. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 verse 17. Actually, let's start in verse 16 or verse 15. 2 Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 15. It says, "...the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place." So God keeps sending people to them, warning them, right? Preaching to them. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, or Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. He's preaching to them, preaching to them, preaching to them. But then look in verse 16. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people, until there was no remedy. Verse 17. Therefore... He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or age. He gave them all into his land. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. 
He took into exile into Babylon those who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. This is where Daniel and them come in, okay? Verse 21, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had what? This is where the 70 years come in. This is why Jeremiah told them, for 70 years you are going to be in Babylonian captivity. Why 70 years? Because that's how many Sabbaths that they refused to let the land rest, along with all the other sins that they committed. And God says, for 70 years you are going to be in Babylonian captivity. But that's not the end of the punishment. All right, we're going to see this. And so um, look at verse uh, 21 again with me. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now go back with me to Daniel chapter 9. This is where we finally get back into it. So Daniel has read Jeremiah, right? Daniel has read that, okay, the land has rested for 70 years. It's almost up. God, have mercy on us and bring us back to Jerusalem and build this place again. That's Daniel's prayer, right? Then Gabriel comes and says, Daniel, from the time your prayer went out, God sent me to you. And I'm here to help you understand exactly what God is going to do. And here's where we get the explanation in verse 24. In verse 24, Gabriel tells Daniel, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now here's where you need to understand a little bit of um, Hebrew. And I'm going to pull it up for you right now. I'm hoping you can see this. Notice I'm bringing up the Hebrew here. You see where on the left-hand side of the screen where it says 70 and underneath it it says weeks. I don't know if you can see that or not. But underneath it where we translate it weeks, it's actually a Hebrew word that is pronounced sabuam, I believe is how you pronounce it. The point that I'm trying to make is that it doesn't actually mean weeks as in the way that we understand weeks. So it's not just 70 weeks, but instead this word means where we translate it weeks, it actually means seven or a period of seven. And it could be a period of seven days or it could be a period of seven years. But here's what we translated. Let's read it that way. When you look back at it again, instead of reading it 70 weeks, let's translate it like this. Seventy sevens or seventy sets of seven years have been decreed for your people. That is the correct way to read that. So here's what Gabriel tells Daniel. Daniel, it's not just seventy years. Seventy years is just so that the land has had its rest for this law that you broke. But as far as what God is doing with the nation of Israel and the way that He is disciplining them because of their sin, Daniel, it's not just 70 years, unfortunately. Because Daniel's done got excited, hasn't he? 
But Gabriel says, it's not actually 70 years, Daniel. Actually, it's 70 sets of seven years that have been decreed. Now somebody do the math on that for me. What is 70 times 7? 490. So let's read it like this. 490 years are decreed about your people and your holy city. And here's what God is going to do in these 490 years that He has picked out of time, and this is what He's going to do. I'm going to finish the transgression. Literally, I'm going to put an end to sin. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish the discipline for your transgression in those 490 years. I'm going to put an end to all sin. I am going to atone for iniquity. How did He atone for iniquity? Alright. Sent His Son, right? I am going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Not just just a temporary righteousness. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness in this 490 year period. Then He says, I am going to seal both prophet and vision. In other words, I am going to fulfill every word that every prophet has ever spoken. I am going to fulfill every vision that has ever been given. I am going to seal it up. And then finally, I am going to anoint a most holy place. I'm not, in other words, he's telling Daniel, I'm not just going to build another temporary Jerusalem back. I'm going to anoint a most holy place. I'm going to build a new Jerusalem. I'm going to build a heavenly Jerusalem in this 490 years. Verse 25, So Daniel, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one... Here's another place that I want to show you the Greek. When we translate it, the anointed one... What it's actually, what verse is that? Is that verse 25? Yes. All right, so let me pull the Greek, the Hebrew up on that. And I want you to see from to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until. And notice, and, and I know, I wish I could blow it up, but I can't. Notice that we translate it the anointed one. But what is the actual Hebrew word in the blue right in under there? M A S I A H. Messiah. So here's what he's actually saying. From the going out of the Word to restore Jerusalem, because remember, Jerusalem's been burned to the ground by the Babylonians, right? We just read about that. From the time the Word goes out, the decree is sent out to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, not just an anointed one, because here in a minute we're going to translate another anointed one and another one that we translated as prince, but it's not talking about the Messiah. So it's important that we make a difference between the two. Have I confused everybody in this place? <laughs> so here's what you've got. The, the, the angel tells Daniel, there is going to be a decree that comes out that says we're going to rebuild Jerusalem. Alright, so you get ready for that. That is coming. But from that time to the time that the Messiah actually comes, notice what it says next. 
a prince, uh, the coming of an anointed one, or the Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, and what did we say the weeks meant? Seven, seven sets of seven. So what is seven times seven? Forty-nine. Alright, so keep that in your mind. So there's going to be forty-nine years. Then for sixty-two sets of seven, what is sixty-two times seven? Somebody do that math for me because I don't have it on hand. So who's got a calculator? Come on, somebody give it to me. Huh? 444? All right, so 444 plus plus 49 is what? Yeah, hang on, I don't think it's right. 434. All right, so let me pull this up. So 434 plus, what we say the other one? 7 times 7, 49 equals 483. What is 490 minus 483? So God has set out this 490 years. He says, here's what's going to happen in 483 of them. In 49 years, Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Now, what's beautiful about this is we have a timeline. Go with me, hold your place here. We're coming back to it. Go with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is uh, toward the beginning of the Old Testament. Or I say toward the beginning, it's uh, after Chronicles. So if you were in Chronicles, it's the next book over. Nehemiah, let's see, what chapter is that? I think it's chapter 2 maybe. Yeah, it is. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is where the decree went out to rebuild Jerusalem. And it tells us a timeline. This is where timelines are beautiful in the Bible. All right, I know we read them and think, what's the point of this? Well, it's a very good point. In Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, which was the Jewish month, what we would say somewhere around March or April, alright? So in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, so we know the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, we know the month, we know the year, and we, because there have been so many historians that have kept a lot of these records, we know that this is somewhere around 444 B.C., alright? And keep reading with me. When wine was before King Artaxerxes, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its kings and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, 
that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And so here's what happens. Now, Nehemiah, even though it comes before Daniel in the Bible, the Bible's not in chronological order, okay? So what happens with Daniel actually takes place before what happens in Nehemiah. Daniel has been told from the time the decree goes out to build Jerusalem back, that is your beginning marker for this 490-year period that I'm talking about, all right? And then, that's going to take 49 years, 7 weeks, 7 times 7, 49. So guess how long it took for Jerusalem, not the temple, Jerusalem and its walls to be rebuilt? That's a good guess. 49 years. But then we're waiting for another 62 weeks, which is 434 years, until the coming of the Anointed One. Now go with me to the Gospel of John. I think it's chapter 12. I'm sorry I'm not better prepared. Um, It's just been a while since I studied this. Yes. John chapter 12. Look at where is that at? John chapter twelve, beginning in verse um, look at verse one. we find out that this is six days before what? Passover, all right? Now you can go over with me to verse 12 of the same chapter. And this is not exactly what I'm looking for, but there's another book that gives the same description and it tells us that it was in the month of Nisan again. And it actually tells us the day. I think it was the 15th of the month of Nisan. Um but I'd have, to, I'd have to find that Scripture for you. But here's the point in verse 12 of John 12. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So, he took, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They've just declared Him the Messiah. Okay, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it was written, and you know the rest of the story there. But now go back with me to Daniel chapter 9 again. And I want you to remember these two points. The first point was in Nehemiah where the decree went out to rebuild Jerusalem. The second point is the coming of the Messiah. All right, We have those two points. And Daniel gives us a timeline and he says in verse 25 of Daniel 9, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, 
there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one, or again, that's, not, that's translated the Messiah, after sixty-two weeks, the Messiah shall be what? That's right. Sacrifice, cut off. And shall have what? Nothing. You know what they even did with His garments? What did they do with His garments? He didn't have anything. He, he had nothing. He was cut off from the land of the living. And then notice it says next, and the people of the prince, now this is not the anointed one, this is not the Messiah, but this is the people of the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after it's been rebuilt, guess what's going to happen to Jerusalem after the Messiah is cut off? It's going to be destroyed again. Guess what happened in 70 AD after Jesus had died? Jerusalem was completely destroyed, burned completely down again, exactly like this said was going to take place. And then it says next in Daniel 9, its end shall come with a flood. Now that don't mean literally a flood is going to destroy it. It means that it's going to be, it's going to be wiped out as if a flood came through and wiped it out. And to the end, there shall be what? War. You want to know why there's no peace in Jerusalem? How many times have you ever heard, pray for peace in the Middle East? Y'all ever heard that? Guess what? It ain't happening. There, until the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. It's decisive. In other words, the angel tells, um, tells Daniel here, this is already laid out. This is what's going to happen. Alright, y'all still tracking with me? So keep reading. And he shall make a strong covenant with many. Talking about this prince, alright? that comes from the people who destroy. Well, we know who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Romans. What this tells us is that there's a prince that comes from the Romans and he rises up at the end times and makes a strong covenant with many for one week. Now, what was one week again? Seven years. So here's what happens. 483 years of the 490 were already completed by the time the Messiah was cut off. But now we're waiting on the prince of the people who destroyed Jerusalem to rise up and make a strong covenant with the Jews again for one week or for seven years. Now notice what happens in this seven-year period. This is important for what we're going into in Revelation, alright? <clears throat> and for one week, for half of the week, what is half of seven? Three and a half. So for three and a half years, He shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. Now guess what this tells us? This tells us that in this seven year period, at the beginning of it, there is going to be a temple for the Jews to be able to give sacrifice and offering and resume their worship like they used to do. Alright? Now, what's beautiful about that is that up to this day, the Jews have not... It's illegal today for the Jews to be on the Temple Mount. It's under Muslim control. 
The Jews have no right to go to the Temple Mount and pray. The Dome of the Rock, the Muslim holy place, is built on that spot right now. Guess what happened two months ago? I don't know if anybody else read about this. I sent it to Letha and Ronnie and them. Did, y'all, did you get to see it and read it? Guess what happened two months ago? They let the Jews start coming onto the Temple Mount to pray. There is already a thing called, you can Google it when you get home, called the Temple Institute in Israel that is a group that already has plans to rebuild the temple, the third temple, on the Temple Mount. The Muslims are throwing a fit right now because um, whoever is in control of that right there is letting the Jews have access to the Temple Mount. Up to this point, the only access they have is what? You ever heard of the Western Wall? The Western Wall of the Old Temple. The Jews could come to that place and they could pray, but they could not go on the Temple Mount. Now, the Jews have been given access. Now, not legally just letting them go in there, but you're beginning to see the the movement of this coming back into play. And what we're waiting on is for the last seven years, whenever the end comes, 490 years have been decreed, right? And in those 490 years, God's going to put an end to sin. He is going to end the transgression. He is going to anoint a most holy place. He's going to atone for sin. And much of that has been done in the 483 years that we talked about. But there's seven years that we're waiting on. And we're waiting on one to rise up that makes a covenant with the Jews. That's the reason when everybody was looking at President Trump, they were saying, oh, he's for Israel, he's for Israel, and he's all about Israel, and he's making Israel a state. You do understand that that's some of the signs of the Antichrist, right? He makes a covenant with Israel, with the nation of Israel, for them to be able to give sacrifice and offering and worship their God once again. But in the middle of that seven years, at three and a half years into that seven-year tribulation, guess what He does? He cuts off and He says, and He puts... Let's keep reading. Go to Daniel chapter 9 with me. And um, the end of verse um, 27. And for half of the week He shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, to understand what's happening right there, go with me to Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to sum it all up for you. So I know you've had a lot of information tonight, and that's the reason I said, even though I've preached this before, I believe it's good to come back and for you to look at it again. Because how many of you are probably going to go home and forget over half of this already? Right. So it's not going to be a bad thing for you to read it and for you to see it again. But Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 15. You know what? Hold your place in Matthew. Go to 2 Thessalonians first. I know there's so much. I know it. I know it. 
Second Thessalonians. That's um, about middle of the New Testament if you have a little trouble finding books. Right after First and Second Timothy. <clears throat> right before First and Second Timothy, I'm sorry. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. You're going to see what Daniel's talking about when he, when he says, when the abomination of desolation takes place in the temple. Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse um, beginning in verse nine. No, I'm sorry. Start in verse. Um, yeah, there you go. Verse three. I should have been better prepared. I apologize. Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse three. Y'all there? All right. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. Talking about the day of the Lord, all right, when Jesus comes back. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. So there's going to be a great falling away from the faith that takes place. And unless the man of lawlessness is revealed. Here we're talking about the Antichrist that's going to rise up, the, the prince of the people that we're waiting on, all right? When the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, and notice what he does in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And so here's, I'm not going to read the rest of it. Go back to Matthew 24 with me and we'll finish up here. So here's what happens. When this Antichrist rises up in the end, remember we're waiting on the last seven years to com be completed, right? This, the beginning of this seven years comes when this Antichrist rises up. That's when the seven years starts. He makes a strong covenant with Israel and allows them, and they think that He's the one that's going to bring peace to the world. And He's the one that brings everybody together. And He looks like this this um, great leader. Possibly a group of leaders is actually what we're looking at here. But the point being is that when this person rises up, we have this covenant that takes place. And in this covenant, about midways through, three and a half years, he stops the sacrifice and the worship in the temple, and instead he sets himself up in the temple and says, You'll no longer worship anybody except who? Me. And anybody who will not worship Him, guess what happens? They end up being killed. That's right, they end up being slaughtered. And so that's what we see happening. So in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15, and when did we say the abomination of desolation takes place? Halfway through the seven years, right? So in Matthew 24, I want you to notice in um, verse 3 of Matthew 24, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will the sign of your coming be and of the end of the ages? So in Matthew 24, what Jesus is about to do is He's about to explain to His disciples 
here's what the end of the ages look like. And what we're going to do next week is you're going to see Matthew 24, Jesus explaining, here's what the end of time looks like. And in Revelation chapter 6, you're going to see them in parallel. And you're going to see that when the first seal is opened, it's exactly what Jesus talks about in... Let's just read down through it real quick in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Here's the first seal. The first seal was a... a a, um, a white horse that came out and the rider on it came out and he came out and he was given a crown. He was a leader. He was one that he looked like Jesus because who else is coming back on a white horse? And who else is having a crown on his head? This rider comes out with a bow. He comes out conquering. He looks like Jesus. But guess what? He's not. And so the first part of the seven years that comes up, we're waiting on the seven final years of tribulation where God is judging Israel, all right? But there are still going to be people that are not Israel in the world. All right, and so then notice with me what comes next in verse um, 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You remember what horse came after? The white horse? The red horse. And he was given a sword to allow people to slay one another. You remember that? You know where people slaying one another takes place? In war. There will be wars and rumors of wars. That's the second seal. But see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Here's the third seal. You can go back and see it. And we'll look at all this next week as we look at both Revelation 6 and Matthew 24. But the next, uh, the next one is famines because guess what always follows war? You remember what followed World War II? Bread lines. Famine follows war every time. Alright? And then keep going with me in verse 7. Um, the end of verse, uh, verse 8, I'm sorry. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now I think this is beautiful that Christ uses the example of a woman giving birth here. Because when a woman's giving birth, how do the pains start? And then what happens as the pains, as the time for birth gets closer and closer? And so what he's saying here is this seven years starts off like a woman giving birth. It starts off looking like a beautiful time. The world is going to be looking at it. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, and I won't take you there again, but they're going to be saying, peace and security, peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them is what he says. And so it's going to look like a peaceful time. It's going to be a leader or leaders that rise up and work together, and it's going to look like, it may even look like world peace. It will look like Peace in the Middle East, but it won't last. And do not be deceived by him. Do not be deceived by all the people that worship this leader and that, that, that fall in love with this leader. And then in verse 9, here's what happens next. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Here comes the next seal where people were martyred for their faith. And again, you go to Revelations and see the next seal. 
and they'll put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake, and then many will fall away. Remember Paul taught in 2 Thessalonians, we read it a minute ago, that a great falling away must first take place before Jesus comes back. Many will fall away from the faith and will betray one another and hate one another. In verse 11, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. But look at verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And here's all he's talking about. He's saying whenever this Antichrist rises up and he, the world begins to worship him, and he sets himself in the place of worship, in the holy place, when you see this abomination of desolation is what he calls it, when you see that take place, notice what he says to the Jewish people here in verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea do what? Flee. If you're a Jew, you better run. You better run to the mountains. And in verse 17, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house. Don't even worry about what's behind you. When you see this take place, get out of there. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to go get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant. You ever seen a pregnant woman run? Especially run for her life? And alas, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be what? Great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect or the chosen by God. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say, and go on and on and on. But here, go down to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, what will happen? And, and, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And again, here's your seeing the sixth seal. Just like we read in Revelations chapter 6. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. And this is where we'll get into next week. So I hope if there's somebody new here next week, you know, they'll, they'll get the gist of it, but you actually can see what God is doing. Okay? God is finishing up the 490 years that He decreed. The last seven years of tribulation have begun where He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to end the transgression. He's going to finish atoning for iniquity, so on and so on and so on. All that we read in Daniel. And this seven years is going to begin with the first rider that looks like a rider that brings peace. But it's a false peace. It don't last. And then out of that peace comes war. And then out of that war in the third seal comes famine. 
And then out of that famine comes death and pestilence and, and disease of all kinds. And then out of that comes martyrdom where, they, where He begins to kill off Christians and people who worship God. And then out of that comes the great tribulation which will be the wrath of the Lamb when the heavens are shook and the stars fall out. And literally, what, what do they call it? Um, what do they call it? Um, not apocalypse. Is it the apocalypse? Uh, Armageddon. There you go. And so, and so what you see here taking place is that the last seven years of tribulation begin in Revelation chapter 6. And from Revelation chapter 6 all the way to Revelation chapter 19, I believe it is, you have all the events that take place in the final seven years of tribulation. Now here's where I'll end tonight. Lord willing, if we have interpreted the Bible correctly, the church is not going to be here during this time. I say, if we have interpreted the Bible correctly. Because there are other scriptures that make me think sometimes that the rapture might actually take place after the tribulation. And so I still read this and still look at it as if there's the possibility that maybe we haven't interpreted it correctly. Listen, I ain't the best at this, all right? And, um, and no one is perfect at interpreting the Bible, right? So I still want to read this in a way that says, even if I'm here, during this time. I'm ready for it. I understand what's going to take place. Savannah, did you have something you were kind of doing? Okay, praising. All right. But um, if you got confused tonight, it's okay. Especially if you don't have a lot of knowledge on Old Testament stuff, don't sweat it. Here's the point that you need to take home, whoever you are. The point you need to take home there is a time period coming that God is going to judge the world. And during that time, it's going to start out looking like a very peaceful situation. Almost, I would say, looking like heaven on earth. Alright? But it don't last long at all. And before long, we see it like birth pains. It gets worse and worse. And Jesus said it gets so bad that if God didn't cut those days short, nobody would be saved. It would destroy the faith of, of everybody. But we want to read and study this and understand what God is going to do so that no matter what, we know that either we're not going to be here and we can praise God that we don't have to face it, or we can still be here and say, God, thank you that I already know what signs to look for because that's what the disciples asked Jesus. Jesus, what are the signs that we should look for? And that's when He laid it out for them. This is what it's going to look like. And I again, I'm not saying this to scare you. It's just interesting to me that some of the pieces, and they have been coming together for a long time, but it's just interesting to me that the Jews are being allowed back on the Temple Mount. Do you know how long it's been since they have been allowed on their Temple Mount to pray? <laughs> I mean, this is historic that this just took place two months ago and this is one of the things and one of the signs that we're waiting on. And if you want that link, come to me afterwards and I'll send you my uh, a text message with the link and you can look at it and kind of see some of it for yourself. Um, I think you'll enjoy the read. All right, any questions? Yeah, I can do that.
I can do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you in just a minute. All right, any questions? You did. You were not here that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was Revelation chapter 5. Yeah, that was Revelation chapter 5. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite messages too. And if you missed that, it's on, it's recorded. You can go find it on um, our uh, YouTube or somewhere, I'm sure. All right. Well, thank you all for your time and your attention. If I confused you and you were just just hang with us, uh, this is how you learn. And so um, if there's something that you just want to ask me a question about, come see me and I'll do the best I can to answer it. And um, I think... Um, I think if we just ask the Lord to help us, He'll, he'll help us understand it best we can.